Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this, the prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this, God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of. When we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him, we have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. We're actually going to be picking up kind of from where we left off uh, last week. So let's pray and we'll, well, I guess I'm two minutes early, but that's all right. I'll get started. All right. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for, I thank you for your people, Lord. I thank you for each one here tonight. And we just pray, Father, tonight that we would um, be touched by your spirit. We pray for revelation and strength and encouragement, Lord, to come to each and every one of us to be all we can be for you in these last days. And, and Lord, we think of Daniel's words, how, Lord, it was sealed up till the time of the end. And I believe it's during these days, Lord, that you're beginning to open up to your church, Lord, the, the end times and the plan of God as we come into the uh, closing days of planet Earth. So I pray, Lord, give us vision, give us uh, faith, give us hope, give us love, and help us to, to move out and do all you have for us and be all you want us to be. And we know it's all by your grace and by your spirit. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, I drew this little diagram up here just uh, so you could kind of see where we've got to at this point. And uh, we've obviously talked a lot about the prophecy in Daniel. And then we've been talking a lot about Daniel's 70th week. And so far we've looked at 
the beginning of Daniel's 70th week where Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel, which could be not that far away. And then we looked at the seals, you know, and we've gone through those, and we saw how um, at the uh, midpoint when Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, we see death and we see martyrdom actually happening there. At seal 6, we saw very clearly a whole half of a chapter of chapter 7 is very clearly the rapture. Nothing is mentioned about a rapture before that, and we saw how that lines up parallel with Matthew 24. And then seal 7, there was silence in heaven for half an hour, and then we started looking at the trumpets. And uh, we said we would be here during this time while Antichrist is doing his thing, and we'll be demonstrating God's power and God's love. What's going to happen now as we go into a few new chapters is it's actually going to come back and pick up some detail on some of this, okay? And so that's what we're going to look at uh, uh, tonight. We're going to, I want to finish, though, reading up on the trumpets. The, you know, this time here is called the birth pains. This is called the Great Tribulation. This is called the Day of the Lord. You know, once the rapture happens and the judgments begin to fall, that's, that's, we, we see that. I read you that passage in Zechariah or Zephaniah last week. That's the Day of the Lord. This is the wrath of man. God kind of lets things, you know, go their route. This is the wrath of Satan where Antichrist is ruling. This is the wrath of God, where the Lord sets this, sets things straight. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and actually you could, I really, I like to call not only Daniel, call this Daniel's 70th week, but you remember we had the first coming back here? Here's the first coming. Okay, when did that really begin? Well, it really began right here when Mary got pregnant. Okay, that's when it really began, the first coming, when the angel came, you know, and spoke to Mary, and, and, you know, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, we have the life of Christ, and then all the way up to, you know, the cross. So uh, Jesus was roughly, um, uh, you know, 30 years old when he began his ministry, 33 when he died. And so if you add nine months onto that, you know, you've really got the first coming being a period of about... Um, uh, 34 years. You know, of course, he was resurrected and, and was with the disciples for uh, 50 days before he ascended. So really the first coming, you know, we, th- we, we hear the word coming and we think, of a, we think of a spot in time, but it wasn't that way. The first coming, everything that Christ did from the time Mary became pregnant till the time Jesus ascended, you know, to heaven was roughly 34 years. Well, actually... This whole time here, Daniel's 70th week, we could call that the second coming. And it's actually only a period of seven years. So the second coming isn't just one little spot in time. We tend to think of it that way. But as you look at the book of Revelation, it's this panorama of events that are happening. And so really this, you know, sometimes we read verses and we, we, where, where they say, you know, Christ at his coming. And we think that only refers to the rapture or only refers to Revelation 19 when he comes out of heaven. But a lot of times, um, that refers to this whole period of time. It's the Greek word parousia, and it means the, his presence. So his presence was here in the first coming. His presence was inside Mary for a while, you know. And uh, for a while he was a kid, you know, and, and the, whole, the whole different picture. Well, his presence here during the Daniel 70th week you know, is varied. And of course, he comes, he comes here to rapture the church. We're going to see, uh, shortly that he'll actually end up on top of Mount Zion with those 144,000, um, 
Jewish believers. So I just want I want to kind of start it off with that, just so you get a picture. Don't think of the of his first coming, or his first coming obviously wasn't just one little point in time, you know. And his second coming isn't either. It's a panorama of events that happened during the entire 70th week. And actually, it kind of parallels a little bit the first coming because birth pains, you know, birth pains are when you're getting ready to bring something to birth. And obviously, in Christ's first coming, he had to be born into our world. So, uh, but we, we did say this, this seven-year period called Daniel's 70th week is very special. And, uh, from the prophecy of Daniel and, uh, that, uh, seal one with the beginning of the riding of the white horse is when Antichrist comes on the scene. So, uh, we do know that it's a seven-week period. What we don't know, we don't know exactly how long it is from here to here. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here. All right, so turn your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 9. Let's pick it up. We are on the fifth trumpet. And um, these are judgments that are falling upon the earth during uh, the day of the Lord. And uh, this is it's getting closer and closer, you know, to the end. And uh, actually, this is after uh, the rapture. You and I are actually in heaven during this time. And God is pouring out judgments on the earth because of sin. And But actually, you know, there, there's people during this time that uh, uh, may not, you know, the fifth trumpet is, is uh, into here, you know. And so Antichrist has been on the scene already, you know, several years. But there are probably people... Uh, on the earth that have many that will have already taken the mark of the beast, but many that will have not yet. There will probably be people that have not taken the mark of the beast and um, that maybe even, you know, not saved yet. And so, you know, the outpouring of these trumpets hopefully would bring them to repent. But the fact of the matter is many won't. But anyway, let's just begin reading here in chapter 9 and, and pick it up, all right? All right, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, Luke 8.31 makes it clear that the bottomless pit is the abode of demons. Let me go read that real fast. Just turn in your Bible, if you would, just give you a little context here. Luke 8.31 says this. Uh, and they begged him, this was the demons that Jesus was casting out here, they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. And so, uh, and many translations call it the bottomless pit. So this is some kind of an abode of demons, and um, actually it could even be those that were disobedient in the times of Noah that God locked up. Um, you know, we really don't know. But it's obviously some sort of a spiritual repository of evil beings. All right. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So it was locked up. Obviously, they couldn't get out except, you know, the Lord allowed it. And uh, he is doing it here in, in a judgment. All right. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. You know, the, the imagery in Revelation is just so Powerful. We need to, to just absorb it, you know. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. 
And to them, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, that right away should tell us these are probably not literal physical locusts, because literal physical locusts have nothing to do with scorpions whatsoever. Okay? Uh, but they were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so, obviously, you remember the 144,000 were sealed uh, back there several chapters back. Um, there is also the possibility... You know, um, the scripture doesn't specifically say one way or the other. But since that time, if people during, you know, re refuse the mark of the beast, they were left here even after the rapture and they say repented and received Christ. There is scriptures that talk us, talk about us being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and things like that. So the scripture doesn't say one way or another, but it's very possible that those that maybe repented of their sins and received Christ during that time, that uh, God also sealed them from these judgments because uh, of their commitment to Him. It doesn't say one way or another. I, I think if I had to lean one way or another, I think that I would probably lean that way because otherwise it would leave true believers, you know, at the mercy of these judgments. Now, since they were, <laughs> I don't know how do you say it, since they were Johnny-come-latelys, <laughs> you know, I can't say absolutely surely that they weren't, you know. But uh, we know, obviously, God's grace and mercy is there for those that put their trust in Him if they, you know, if people really do. And they're not just playing games. But uh, there's no question the 144,000 uh, Israeli believers were sealed. We read about that. All right, verse 5, And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Five months. So we know this trumpet, which is the fifth trumpet, is five months long. And so we know, you know, we said that the tribulation here is sh that, that where, where it said in Matthew 24, except those days be shortened. So one of these trumpets lasts for five months. Okay. So if you take 42 months minus five months, that is uh, 37 months. So we know this has got to be less than 37 months before the rapture. We don't know much else. That's the only trumpet that gives us any kind of time frame. But obviously the other trumpets didn't happen with no time at all. They had to have some time in there. So we know that one, just one of these trumpets lasted for five months. The Bible doesn't tell us how long the others lasted. But, but uh, you know, there's definitely a significant period of time after the rapture, when these judgments are going on. Okay, and um, they had power to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Not a very nice picture. The shape of the locust was like horses, Prepared for battle. So, you know, all of a sudden you got this locust and it's shaped like a horse. So I think that, remember how we always say we take the Bible as literal and physical unless there's good reasons not to. Well, I haven't seen any locusts that look like horses. <laughs> so what we're really seeing here is spiritual imagery. Um, the beings that are being called locusts are real, but the longer you read, the more you realize 
that John is seeing a spiritual picture of probably just what are demons. Okay, um, so the shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. So you can imagine this kind of a face of almost like an ornery man, long hair flowing behind it with these huge teeth, uh, pretty much of a demonic picture. All right. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. So they had wings, they had breastplates of iron, and um, verse 10, they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And um, in verse 11, it says, they had as king over them the angel. So obviously an evil angel, a fallen angel. The angel of the bottomless pit, whose Hebrew name is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon, and both of those mean destroyer. Now every once in a while you run into people that will say that, that, that these locusts were maybe, that what John was seeing was modern warfare or modern army. I don't think so. The, the description of them is too wild. You know, and also, if it was really modern warfare, people would be dying. They wouldn't be being tormented. They would die, you know. So what has the power to torment but yet not kill? Well, definitely demonic forces. So this is, and what's happening, of course, is each one of these trumpet judgments is getting a little more severe. And uh, obviously, since they come out of the bottomless pit, remember again, the bottomless pit is the abode of demons. So it's most likely that these are are demons. And uh, then in verse, so there's this demonic army that has the power to torment mankind. And God is allowing this, you know. It's like we have to understand, we, you know, that, that the law of sowing and reaping is real. What you sow, you're going to reap. And if mankind insists on, on um, continuing to sow sin and not repent, then they're going to reap the evil that that comes from, which is Satan, and it's demons, and it's and so really, it's just it's just you know um, they're getting the results of the team they chose to be on, so to speak, you know. But uh, obviously, God is allowing us, and this had to happen specifically because this angel had to have the key to the bottomless pit. I tell you what, folks, we don't realize how much God protects us from right now without even knowing it. Can you say Amen? <laughs> so God had to specifically give him the key. I don't think he'd like to do that. But ultimately, he does have to bring an end to this whole thing, and he does have to judge sin. Um, and when it comes to judging sin, God isn't going to play sentimental. He's not going to have any warm fuzzies. He has to deal with it. Sin is bad. Okay. And so now in uh, verse 12, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Remember the angel back in 8.13, after the first four trumpets, he said, there, oh, three woes are coming. So these trumpets are getting worse than the first four. All right, verse 13, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So here again, these are evil angels somehow. God had bound them. They could have been part of the Noah deal too. Who knows? <laughs> but anyway, God had them bound for some reason. Verse 15, So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year 
were released, now watch this, to kill a third of mankind. One-third of the population of the earth dies at the sixth trumpet. That's heavy-duty stuff. You know, you know you got major judgment happening when a third of mankind dies. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And again, people often think this is maybe a literal army, but I, I don't believe so yet. There is some armies that happen later on here, but but let's keep reading. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. I just don't think that describes modern warfare. I think it's beings. It's evil beings that John is seeing here. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. Well, what were the three plagues? Fire, smoke, and brimstone. And so uh, I'm not saying this, you know, particularly this trumpet, there are some, uh, uh, you know, translators that feel this represents modern warfare. The reason I just can't see that is because um, when it talks about a third of mankind, it just uh, it just doesn't seem to fit, you know. There's a couple other battles coming up here in Revelation, but I just don't see any other, in either Daniel's prophecies or the prophecies in Revelation, I just don't see any warfare that would kill a third of mankind. You know, I just, I just don't see it, you know. So I, I think this is a demonic army that has been, um, and the other reason I believe that is because the four angels who were bound at the river Euphrates, you know, they, uh, they're, 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 um, obviously evil angels. And uh, the evil angels control forces of darkness. But, you know, hey, whether it's some kind of literal army or whether it's demons, uh, it's pretty heavy duty either way. <laughs> you know, a third of mankind dies, all right? And um, verse 19, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails. Now watch this. For their tails are like serpents having heads. I mean, that just sounds like a description of a demonic evil being. just doesn't, doesn't fit to me anything in the natural. For their tails are like serping, serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Now, watch this in verse 20 and 21. This really shows how de- deceived you know, the world has become. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Now, I will say this, I don't think this means that, that there's nobody possible that could be getting right with Christ. But you gotta understand, this is getting pretty far in here. This trumpet is getting, you know, farther and farther into the reign of Antichrist. And I think people will have made their choice. And so, in some ways, I think what God is saying here is when He says the rest of mankind, it's like those that have already chosen not to take the mark have done so. Everybody else has taken it. That um, there's, there are going to be those during the tribulation that are going to get saved and they're going to stand for Christ. And then there's going to be a big, huge part of mankind that won't. And it's sad, but it's just the fact of the matter, you know. And uh, so, uh, you know, to say that nobody could get saved after the sixth trumpet, I wouldn't say that either. Because, you know, the Lord could be speaking in a generality about all mankind, you know. So I would never put him in a box but probably by this time, a lot of people have already made their choice. 
It says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which could neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries. And again, sorceries is the Greek word pharmikia, where we get our word pharmacy, and it represents the abuse of drugs. We know drugs is a major problem in our society today. Murders, we see that in our schools now. Or their sexual immorality, which goes on every day, everywhere, without anybody blinking an eye or thinking anything of it, which should tell us a little bit about the conditions that we're getting close to. Or their thefts. And so an interesting thing here is you, if you relate this to the Ten Commandments, they, uh, they didn't repent of worshiping demons and idols. That's the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Not a, not a religious God, not a physical God. Nothing should take the place of God in our life. You know, you, you can't ever go wrong by just loving God and worshiping God and obeying Him. You know, if you have to boil your theology down, very simple, just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you'll be okay. You know, <laughs> and realize the only way you can approach him is through Christ. So that's pretty simple theology, you know. But the first commandment they were breaking here was the first commandment. They were, had graven images. They were, you know, worshiping demons, had idols. And uh, it said they did not repent of their murders. That's the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill, which literally means thou shalt not murder. And or their sorceries, um, again, that is the first commandment. Because, uh, you know, it's uh, when really putting drugs in our body and trying to find happiness that way is trying to replace the presence of God. Or their sexual immorality, that's the seventh commandment. Or their thefts, that's the eighth commandment. So, you know, it's amazing how God's Ten Commandments really, and I think I talked about this in one of these sessions, they, they are in a nutshell the character of God. You can expand on them a whole lot. But, you know, if you want to know the character of God in a nutshell, the Ten Commandments are, are pretty good. And so um, the, the mankind was breaking well over half of them here. And it says they wouldn't repent. You know, they just would not uh, repent. And um, during this time, the 144,000 are around. They're preaching. Also, what's really, we'll, we'll see this in a minute, but the two witnesses are around during this time preaching. And the, let me tell you something. These dudes have some serious power. They are some serious preachers. <laughs> so nobody's got an excuse not to know, even coming into the time of Antichrist, you know, the 144,000 are sealed and then the two witnesses are on the scene. There's plenty of preaching going on, you know, as well as the whole church. You know, we're preaching too. And so, uh, you know, it's not like people didn't know. It's not like they didn't hear the gospel, but it just, you know, they just chose to not listen, and they chose to um, not repent, and that's why they're under judgment. All right, now, chapter picking it up in chapter 10, from chapter 10, verse 1, to chapter 11, verse 14, is a parenthetical uh, passage section that actually is going to explain a little more of what's going on. Now, if I, were, if I were describing this in terms of my preaching, I would say this. He's chasing a rabbit, okay? And, uh, but it's an important rabbit. So how many of you know sometimes when you're preaching and you chase a rabbit, it's an important rabbit? And so that's really what John is doing here. And, of course, what the revel revelator is doing here, you know, 
in the vision is it's, it's, it's going to expand here now on some of the things that we've seen. So let's pick it up in, um, in chapter 10. And uh, it says, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And this is a, if you recognize some of those descriptions, they're a lot like Christ in the first uh, couple chapters of Revelation. There are quite a few times in the Bible where the appearance of Christ He's described as an angel. Oftentimes he's given the title, the angel of the Lord, because the word angel literally means messenger. And so uh, it doesn't always mean a just only an angelic being. Um, but remember how we talked about in, in re- when we, the um, letters to the churches, said to the angel of the church, you know, that could have been a literal angel messenger, but it also could have been to, um, uh, to the pastor's. Okay, so, um, but is, you know, his face was like the sun, rainbow on his head, feet like pillars of fire. You know, it sounds a lot like a description of Christ, and I think it probably is. Okay, verse 2, he had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So, you know, it's like he's standing with one foot on the land and one foot on the sea, and he's standing in great authority, which is just another reason to think that it's probably Christ, and cried with a loud voice. Every once in a while you have to raise your voice a little bit, you know, to sometimes get attention. As when a lion roars, so he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. So we might ask, why did the Lord tell him to seal them up? I absolutely have no idea. <laughs> I'm totally clueless, you know. And uh, so, yeah, you know, so I guess it's maybe just to show us that, I don't know, sometimes there's things I guess God shows others that he's not going to show us, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Or uh, maybe John was in on something that, that uh, you know, for whatever reason, God didn't didn't feel was necessary to tell us, but... Um, why that's in there, I have no idea. <laughs> but it's interesting. <laughs> so anyway, verse 5. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, now you might want to put in the margin there, that doesn't actually happen. The seventh angel doesn't sound until chapter 11, verse 15. So we got well over a chapter to go of, of, of the rabbit, <laughs> of the interlude, of the parenthetical before we get to that. But this is, this is very important. All right, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. So when we get to the seventh angel, we're getting very near the end of Daniel's 70th week. We'll talk more about that on the timing of that next time. But when the seventh angel sounds, really, that's when Christ really, you know, begins to start taking over. And when it says the mystery of God will be finished, what, what it's saying is that really 
That's the beginning of the time when Christ is going to become visible again and the kingdom of God is going to come to earth and there, there won't be, you know, won't be more, quote, faith required because you'll be able to see it. And so the whole mystery of what God, and, and God makes certain things a mystery so that people will seek Him with their hearts. If everybody really could see the glory of God, everybody would follow it, but not always for the right reason. So God requires faith and God requires repentance and God requires us to believe some things we can't see. And it is a little bit of a mystery because by having it that way, it forces us to make choices with our hearts. And so, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servant, servants the prophets. So everything that's going to happen, really, we are learning from the prophets in the Bible. We're learning all the way back there from Daniel and Zechariah and Zephaniah. And, of course, the culmination is here in the book of Revelation. Verse 8, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take... Another reason why I think this angel is probably Christ is because in John 1, Christ is likened to the Word. And what we have here in this little scroll, I believe the little scroll is a picture of the Word of God working in our lives. And so in the midst of all this going on here, all of a sudden John is told that he needs to take this little scroll and eat it. That's kind of unique, isn't it? But if the Bible says in Matthew 4.18 that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, well, you know, what do you do with bread? You eat it. Well, what do you have to do with the word? You have to eat it. So it's not just something that can be head knowledge. It's got to be something that is literally becomes a part of you. You know, just there's a lot of people that have a little head knowledge of Christ, but that has doesn't mean at all that they're saved. It doesn't even mean that they're living for him. To live for somebody, you know, to you've heard the phrase, you are what you eat. Well, spiritually, that's true. So if you can learn to eat the Word of God and feed on the Word of God and let it become part of you where you digest it and it becomes part of your life, that's really what God wants. And so that's what that's the whole message here of this little scroll in the midst of this. It's kind of like the Lord saying, this is not just a cute little chart, but this is something, once again, that I want you to live. Now watch this. He said, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so in the midst of this whole thing here, it's almost like the Lord stops to try to help John. I really believe it's as much for our benefit as John's to see really what his calling is, to see really what he's got to do. And so as he eats this little book, it tastes like honey. And, you know, the word of God a lot of times is like that. We just love the word, you know, and it's exciting. And But all of a sudden, as we eat it into our life, oh, man, it kind of gives us a stomach ache, you know. And you know why? Because it's challenging, because we have to stand. We, you know, I'll be glad for the day when when this whole show is over, but at the same time, I want to be all I can be for God now. Amen. 
And so it might kind of give you a little bit of a stomach ache. In other words, you know, it might be a challenge. It might mean that you have to, you know, rise up and overcome fear and overcome complacency and overcome just being comfortable or overcome selfishness or whatever. But you have to do that. The bottom line is it's going to strengthen you. You know, it might might give you a little stomach ache for a while, but it's the food you need to strengthen you. Here, here's what you got to do with it. Verse 11, if you really allow the Word of God to become part of you, you must prophesy. So today, you know, one of my big jobs is to preach the gospel. It's all of our jobs. You know, we need to be saying to our world, hey, world, you got to wake up. Christ is coming, you know. The, 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 the answer for life today, the answer for the world today is Jesus. And, um, you know, we've all sinned. And that's the problem, you know, with the world today. I mean, I was listening to, what's his name on Camwax, Paul Harris, the other day. I get a kick out of him once in a while. And so I was listening to him, you know, and he was talking about these school shootings. And I guess, you know, down in St. Jen last night, there was, there, you know, a guy shot a... Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, so it's like every, you hear, and you know, so Paul is, oh, and then they, then they have this thing in St. Louis where they want to make a curfew for the kids during the day, you know, so that they can be sure they're in school and they're going to penalize their parents, you know, if they don't, and you know, and so Paul's going on and said, man, you know, I, he said, he said, uh, I just don't know what's brought us to this point, you know, and I went, Hello, uh, I can tell you. I can tell you. Let me raise my hand. I, I was driving and I didn't have, and I didn't have enough time to get on my cell phone, but I was that was a, that's about the time that I normally call in is on things like that. And I said, I can tell you very simply. We took prayer out of schools in 1962. We made abortion legal in 1973. We now have judges that are trying to purge anything spiritual or Christian out of everything in the United States, including in God we trust. We're, you know, I mean, on and on and on. I can tell you exactly why it's all happening. It's not, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. People need God. And America used to uphold God a whole lot more than we do now. And so it's our job as Christians to prophesy that. You know, you might catch a little flack. You might catch a little persecution. But it's okay, you know, to say, hey, Jesus loves you. And he wants you to change. And if you don't change, it's turn or burn, cry or fry. You know, that's just the way it is. That's what sin will do to you. And God doesn't like sin. And he's given you time to get right. But if you don't get right, I want to read to you Revelation chapter 11. So, you know, now, you maybe need to say it a little nicer than I just said it. (laughs) Especially if you can develop a relationship with somebody, you know, take your time, move through it slowly. (laughs) But the bottom line is we have to do here what John was doing. We have to eat the Word of God, let it become part of us, and not be afraid to tell the world what they need. And you know, they, they may, I remember when my mom first started witnessing to me, I wasn't a happy camper. I don't want to hear it, you know. But, uh, I'm sure glad today she didn't quit. You know, so, I probably made it a little bit bitter in her belly. <laughs> I gave her, I probably gave her some ulcers. <laughs> but you know what? She's glad today she kept at it because here I am preaching the gospel. So, don't be afraid to prophesy. Prophesying is declaring things that are you know, true and that are going to happen even when people maybe uh, can't fully understand it, all right? So that's a, that's a, that's a cool 
little interlude there. And, and actually, the, uh, Jesus was saying, John, John, this is what you got to do. He was on the Isle of Patmos, but he was saying, John, you got, I don't know who he had contact with or, but he obviously wrote this book and passed it on. And, uh, but I believe the same word is for us. We have to do the same thing. All right. Chapter 11. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So he told them to measure, you know, the temple. God, again, he loves his people, Israel. He's very concerned about Israel. Ultimately, he's going he's gonna to save Israel in the sense of restore them to the land, those that will be in it will be those that will have, have repented and opened their heart to Christ. But it said they will, they will tread it underfoot for 42 months. Well, 42 months is this last half of Daniel's 70th week. 42 months is three and a half years. 1260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. It's all the same. Why does God sometimes say 1260 days and sometimes say 42 months and sometimes, sometimes say three and a half years? I don't know. I guess because the variety makes it sound cool. <laughs> you know, it's just got a cool sound, you know. It's kind of like for 42 months, for 1260 days, you know. So, I mean, I don't know exactly why he did that, but it just kind of has a, kind of has a, has a prophetic, prophetic sound to it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so for four, and from the time Antichrist breaks his covenant, 42 months, there, Jerusalem is going to be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles, and uh, especially Antichrist. But you notice, see, remember back in the sixth seal, here is where we were raptured. So notice how this interlude is beginning to fill in some details. Okay, so already we're back to here, you know, in this little parenthetical statement. Okay, and so, uh, and there's a couple places in the book of Revelation where it does this. It'll go along chronologically, and then it'll stop for a couple chapters and fill in the blanks or chase rabbits, <laughs> good rabbits, <laughs> okay? And so um, so these 42 months here, up until this time, you know, the Jews will think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread because Antichrist is watching over them. He's got a covenant with them. What, what, they, what they just don't realize is that, you know, he's not God's man of power for the hour for them. You know, he's the devil's substitute. And they'll see that in the middle of the uh, week. But so, anyway, you can see there that um, it just, it, in, in this interlude here of chapter 10 and 11, it will go back and fill in some details, and that's what it's doing there in verse 2. Now watch this. This gets cool. Verse 3, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So right after he told John about eating the word and that he must prophesy, and I believe that applies to us, then also he brings on the scene these two special guys who are what we always have heard called the two witnesses you know, of Revelation. And um, so who are these guys? Well, you remember when um, Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospels and he had Peter, James, uh, and uh, John with him. 
And, uh, you know, while they were up there, it says his clothes began to glow. And it, was, it just became as brilliant as, I forget how it describes it, brighter than Fuller's soap. In other words, whiter than anything clean could make it on earth. And who was it that appeared with Jesus to talk to uh, Peter and those guys? Anybody remember? Who was it? Moses and Elijah. That's exactly right. And so we don't have time to go there, but you remember at the end of Malachi where the Lord said, Surely I will send Elijah before the coming of the Lord or the great day of the Lord there. And so um, I believe that most likely uh, these two witnesses here are exactly that, Moses and Elijah. And, uh, and, and some people say, well, you know, I mean, um, what does God do? You know, raise him from the dead? Well, I mean, I don't know exactly how he does it. I, I can tell you they appeared on the mountain. So how they got there, I don't know. <laughs> you know. God did it. And so I don't think it's any big deal for him to to have them appear again, you know. And uh, they actually uh, are are killable, so they're not in resurrection bodies. You know, they're, they're somehow in um, natural human bodies, you know. And um, so that's an interesting, uh, interesting fact, too. You know, and, and there are, I mean, there are some commentators that feel that um, uh, the, the, they have, that these are just two powerful men of God that are not Moses and Elijah. The reason I tend to lean toward Moses and Elijah is just because, uh, number one, I think the Jews would especially be open to hearing from them. <laughs> and I think, two, Malachi's prophecy. You know, I will send you Elijah. And uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, some of these things we may not fully know until they happen. You know some of the maybe the exactness of it, but um, we can sure uh, uh, speculate and, and think about it until then. One thing for, is for sure, no question. There is two very powerful witnesses, and it says they will prophesy 1,260 days. So once again, that's three and a half years. So they are going to prophesy, and since we'll see here that they are prophesying in the time of the beast. Their prophecies are going to start here, and, and 1,260 days is the last half of Daniel's 70th week. So isn't it going to be interesting? When Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, he's going to, the abomination of desolation, you know, he's going to start consolidating power uh, in the earth. But it's like people are not going to be left without a witness. Number one, you and I are here, okay? So we are sharing the gospel, you know, and probably using wisdom in how we do it, you know, so you don't die any earlier than you need to. <laughs> but, you know, here's these two witnesses, <coughs> and they're probably prophesying from Israel. But during the time of the reign of Antichrist, these guys are prophesying, and they're not just prophesying. Let's read a little further. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. That's a reference Back to the prophet Zechariah. You can go read that when you have time. Now watch this, verse 5. I love it. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. So during this time, while Antichrist is consolidating his power, it's not like there's nothing happening. 
These guys are prophesying, and if any of Antichrist's forces tries to take them and kill them, guess what? Fire comes from heaven and destroys them. How many of you believe probably Antichrist will learn to leave them alone? I think he will. And you know, and they're declaring boldly the word of God. They're, they're, they're declaring it especially to Israel, you know, because we're already here. We're the church. You know, those that, you know, there's, like I said, God is getting his church ready, I believe, to enter into this time and demonstrate the power and the glory of God. There'll be a dead church, a compromised church, an ignorant church, an unaware church, an unprepared church. But I'll tell you what, too, there's going to be an on fire church. And so, and you know what? You may not be one of those two witnesses, but how many of you believe in the last days God's going to pour out his, his power on his church, too? I'll tell you what, the Bible says the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former house. And so I do believe God will be using us. But I think it's pretty cool that right in the midst of Antichrist's reign, these guys are, these guys are, you know, um, uh, fire, <laughs> listen, watch this, read, read this, this is just incredible. Fire proceeds from their mouth. <clears throat> I mean, that's pretty, pretty awesome, you know, and devours their enemies. So these guys are human flamethrowers. And I don't think anybody's going to stop them from preaching because they're going to turn into crispy critters, you know? And so uh, verse 6 goes on. They have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the day of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues. Watch this. As often as they desire. So these got to be pretty mature people because I know if that was probably me, man, I'd be blasting them all. <laughs> you know? But these guys must just kind of know when to do what, you know. But so even though Antichrist is in power, he, the whole Mark thing is going to be going on, which we'll get to in chapter 13. But uh, even though all that's going on, God has not left himself without witness. God has not left himself without testimony. These two witnesses are some powerful dudes. And, um, you know, television will still be around during this time. I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, you know, I might be hiding from Antichrist, but I'd be, I'm just going to be loved tuning into Channel 4 and saying, look at that man, they're calling down fire. <laughs> Can't stop those guys. Yeah, go, man, go, go. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's going to be a very interesting time, but, but uh, I just want you to see that uh, God has not left himself without witness, you know. And, and again, as I said, the church is still here too, and we're going to be having a powerful impact all over the world. And I believe right at this time especially, when Antichrist first comes on the scene and breaks his covenant with Israel, and it's going to be the time when the mark is starting to proliferate and people are going to be having to make choices. I think it's during that time, you know, where, where God's going to really use us a lot and many people will be, as the Bible says, in the valley of decision, you know. And I believe there'll be many Jews that turn to Christ, and I believe there'll be many Gentiles that turn to Christ. And one of the things that's cool here is, you know, we had the time of Israel, we had the time of the church age. In Daniel's 70th week, it becomes the Israel and church, Israel and church united. God's working in Israel. He's going to restore Israel. But also God's working in the church because he's not coming back for a defeated church. He's coming back for a bride without spot or blemish or wrinkle. And even though this will be a hard time, we'll shine during that time because the power and glory of God will be upon us. And, uh, you know, it, it won't matter whether you get martyred or whether you make it all the way to the rapture. It just won't matter. 
you know, because we're going to demonstrate the power and glory of God. And I think the whole idea of the two witnesses being there, that's really cool, you know. That's kind of like having Michael Jordan on your team. <laughs> so anyway, all right, let's keep reading. Verse 7, it does come to an end. When they finish their testimony... How long are they going to test? Uh, how long are they going to testify? 1260 days. Okay. So at the end of Daniel's 70th week, when we get to the very end of it, and there's quite a few interesting things that happen at the very end, and we'll talk about that. We won't get to that this week. When they finish their testimony, the beast, that's the Antichrist, that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So there comes a point where they're martyred. Uh, I guess, you know, at that point, by the will of God, they don't call down any fire. They just lay down their lives. And, um, and this is, this is, you know, they start prophesying here. This is where they're martyred at the very end. So they got some serious time to do some preaching. All right. And then verse eight, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. It's talking about Jerusalem there. So there in Israel, the great city is Jerusalem and, um, their bodies lie. There and, and notice the Lord calls it spiritually Sodom and Egypt. The the real repentance yet hasn't happened in Israel. You know, God. I mean, there are many Jews that have come to Christ. The 144,000, but national Israel hasn't really yet, even at this point in time, you know, acknowledged their Messiah yet. And uh, so, where also our Lord was crucified, then those. Uh, from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations, so not just Israel, but all over the world, probably via TV, will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Now that's when you know that you really have an unrepentant world. You know, this is at the end of Daniel's 70th week, and, and again, many of the people will have made their choice by that time. And so all the people on the earth at that time that that, you know, have uh, have taken the mark and they're in Antichrist's uh, kingdom and all that, just to show you how um, perverted it's become, how sinful it's become, how demonic, you know, it's become. They won't even bury them for three and a half days. And uh, so they just leave their dead bodies of the prophets laying in the streets. And, you know, God, it's interesting how God works, you know, he, he always gives grace and mercy and he, you know, you know, what's the right time to pick a fruit when it's ripe? And God doesn't judge sin until it comes to its full ripeness, till its full badness, so to speak. And then he says, okay, that's it. You know, but this just shows you how ripe the earth is to be destroyed, how ripe sin is and how righteous the judgment of God is that people would be that perverted. That they would so resist. You know, what are these guys prophesying? They're prophesying that God loves you. They're prophesying you can be saved. You know, and 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 they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear about sin. You know, and um, one thing we got to always be careful of. You know, there's, and I'll get into this more when we talk about mystery Babylon. I believe very strongly in unity in the church, but um, one of the things we're going to see is, you know, if ever you have an ecumenical movement. Listen to me now, this is important. That starts taking away the power of the cross, you need to stay very far away from that. Because the foundation of true Christianity is the power of the cross. And if ever the offense of the cross ceases, then what we have is nice little good works, you know, nice little peacenik movements, 
but we don't have repentance and we don't have Jesus as Lord and we don't have that mankind as a sinner born into sin who needs who needs to repent and needs a savior see and so there's going to be a false world church there's going to be a false ecumenical movement i don't know if any of you saw in the newspaper two or three days ago the dalai lama met with the pope and there was a big call after that meeting for the uniting of all the world religions it's just the beginning folks it's just the beginning and so i don't care what the label is on something I don't care if it's even called Christian. Listen to me. If it doesn't have the blood of Jesus, the power of the cross, repentance, being born again by the Holy Spirit, that mankind is bound by sin and that, that we have to repent and receive Christ to be free, if it doesn't have that element, then you need to stay away from that because that is not going to be the true church. It's going to be something false. And remember how I said Antichrist just doesn't mean against Christ. It means in place of. Okay? So we'll talk more about that as we get further along. How did I even get off on that? I'm not sure. Anyway, it was a rabbit. It was a rabbit. <laughs> All right. So that's how perverted sin was. And then in verse 10, it says, Those who dwell on the earth, listen to this. I mean, this is how perverted they are. Those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. How did they torment them? Just telling them they need to repent. That's about all they did, that God loved them, that they you know, could be saved. So that's how demented Sin and the devil ultimately get. It just becomes rebellion against God is what it is. Just rebellion against God. Verse 11, Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. I guess so. <laughs> Whoa, man! It's like, I'm back. <laughs> Don't you just love it? You know, man, if I'm, oh golly, you know, I tell you what, it's just, um, it's incredible. And so, uh, I believe God just, you know, He just knows what to do at the right time. All right. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed. I would say that probably got Jerusalem's attention. And the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. So, you know, there's some work happening there in Israel. All right, so we're about at the end of the parenthetical there. It says, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And here is the seventh angel sounding the seventh trumpet. It says, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, we're really beginning to start to wrap it up. And we'll see much expanded on that in the next few chapters. All right, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. In the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. 
So, and all that it says in verse 17 and 18 takes place over the next 10 chapters. But uh, there's one little cute little thing there uh, I think we ought to notice. It says, destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, I am not a green, green person, uh, and I, I'm not a tree hugger, and I don't worship trees or whales. But I do believe this. This is something Christians ought to remember. How many of you do believe we should be stewards of the earth? You know, I mean, we should not just because, you know, it's convenient or whatever. We should never trash the earth. That's why I think they ought to raise the fine for littering. <laughs> you know, just an aside, that's all. Just a little aside there, free of charge. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just enforce them, right? But, uh, you know, I thought that's an interesting phrase, destroy those who destroy the earth. So I believe God wants us to use the resources he's given us. You know, I don't... I mean, some of these green people, they just, I mean, really, they, they worship Mother Earth. And it becomes a goddess worship, and it just becomes demonic, you know, and, and out of control and totally insane. But I think that's different than just being a good steward of the earth. I think God's given us resources to use. Uh, he gave us meat to eat. The Bible tells us that clearly, you know. But we can be good stewards and... Uh, you know, take care of the earth that he's given us. All right, verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. And so when this seventh trumpet sounds, you know, we are really beginning to get close to the end. And uh, now we jump back into... Another rabbit, more parenthetical, because it's kind of like in the whole book of Revelation, it's like it'll move forward a little bit chronologically, and then it's almost like the Lord wants us to get the big picture, see some details, you know, and so it's kind of like he'll move it forward, and then he'll give us, it's it's almost kind of like footnotes when you read a book, you know. So let's pick it up. Chapter 12 is really one of the most interesting chapters in Revelation because it's a panoramic vision of history, especially as it relates to Israel. But it will put a lot of this in context, okay? And so we'll wrap it up here with this chapter. It's about as far as we can get tonight. All right, now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Now, if you go read about this in the book of Genesis, this is no question that it's Israel. You know, a woman with the garland of twelve stars, the twelve tribes of Israel, and the clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and the whole thing there, that is definitely Israel. So, um, and remember how we said a big part of Daniel's 70th week is that God is not only dealing with you and I, the church, you know, to, to have the church be the bride of Christ. But he's also dealing with Israel. Now, verse 2, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child, capital C, as soon as it was born. 
She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now what this is, this is a panoramic view here of Israel and how Israel was the one who brought forth Christ. That was one of God's main purposes in the nation of Israel, was to have a righteous lineage, you know, to bring forth Christ. They were to be his nation. And so there her being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Israel, you know, Christ was birthed out of Israel. And it did create a lot of trouble, didn't it? Didn't, wasn't there a lot of pain when Christ was came forth? The Pharisees didn't like it. Sadducees didn't like it. You know, yeah, and Herod didn't like it. And, uh, I mean, it put, it put all of Israel in turmoil. You know, great pain from this, from Jesus, you know, being born of Israel. And in verse three, you know, the sign there of Satan, uh, first of all, in verse four, here, this is to show you how prophecy can just look back and look forward. It says, with a tail he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Well, the stars are pictures of angels. And so when did that happen? When did the fall of Satan happen? I mean, way back there. So all of a sudden, in this panoramic view of of eternity, in one verse, you've got thousands of years between two statements. That's the way the Bible is with prophecy. It can just, it can have huge numbers of years in there, you know. And so when Lucifer fell... You know, and he rebelled against God. And some of you heard me say this. I believe he did it because he got jealous of God's plan for man. You know, and um, that's in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Uh, there's some very interesting verses in there. I don't have time to cover. But anyway, so a third of the angels followed him in his rebellion. All right. And so then it says, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child. So it's like here. I mean, a lot of people get all worked up over Satan, but if a, th- if a third of the angels fell, that still means there's two-thirds with us, right? <laughs> you know? And so, but it's interesting that, that the prophecy here, scriptures talk about how a third of the angels fell, and so it's almost like all of hell. The angels, the fallen angels, and, and Satan, they're standing there ready to devour that child as soon as it was born. And, of course, we know how Satan inspired Herod. He killed all those two-year-old children trying to get to Jesus. That was demonically inspired. That was Satan inspiring that. By the way, have you guys seen that movie yet? Um, uh, One Night with the King? Anybody seen it yet? It's a good movie. You ought to go see it. But also in the previews, there's a brand new movie coming out this Christmas called The Nativity. Oh, man, it looks good. I am so glad that there's some Christian uh, uh, art people starting to make films. And you know why? I mean, I I know they're doing it because they love God, but you know why else they're doing it? This is an encouraging thing. They're doing it because finally they can make some money doing it. There's enough Christians to go. (laughs) That's a pretty good thing, you know? (laughs) So God's, God's on the move, you know? But anyway, this movie, The Nativity, it really, and man, it's very real looking. I mean, they had, they had a couple of clips in there of, of when Herod was trying to kill Jesus. It was very realistic. So, uh, I'm looking forward to going to see that this Christmas. But anyway, you know, so he tried to devour the child. And then verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That, of course, is a picture of Christ destined to rule. And he was caught up to God and his throne. That's a picture of the resurrection. 
All right, now it switches gears in verse 6, and we're right back to the end times. It says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So right here, isn't it amazing how the Lord just switches gears? He's right back to the end times again. And when, when Antichrist breaks the covenant, again, we have three and a half years here. So Israel, true Israel now, the woman, the woman is a picture of those that really, those in Israel that love God. She has a place prepared for her in the wilderness. And you remember how Jesus in Matthew 24 said, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, he said, come down from the housetop and flee Judea. That's the woman going into the wilderness. He said, don't even bother to go in and pick up anything. Get out of there. Well, there's going to be many secular Jews that won't do that. But the woman, those in Israel that already love God or that the Lord is dealing with, you know, they're going to, the, the, the woman is a picture of spiritual Israel, okay? And uh, she'll be brought back to her land. And, and, of course, many other Jews will repent, but not every Jew There'll be Jews that take the mark of the beast. They'll be lost just like Gentiles will be lost. But God will restore Jewish believers. He will restore them to their national Israel. Okay? All right. But she has this place during the reign of Antichrist, 1,260 days. Now watch this in verse 7. War broke out in heaven right during this time. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. In Ephesians, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. That's where he rules from up there. That's where he works to deceive mankind is from, from the heavenlies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So guess what happens? His place up there is taken away from him by Michael, okay? Verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world and was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength. Well, let me just stop there. He was cast out, okay? Skip to verse 12, then I'm going to go back to verse uh, 10 and 11. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So what happens here? Satan is cast to earth. When Antichrist, it happens at the exact same time that Antichrist breaks his covenant. He literally embodies Antichrist. That's when the serious persecution starts. That's also when the serious false miracles start happening through Antichrist and the false prophet. And so really what we're dealing with during this time here of the tribulation is we're dealing with the devil on earth. He's on earth in the person of the Antichrist. Okay? So that's why all hell is breaking loose and the devil's mad. He knows he has a short time. I think he's still deceived enough to believe that somehow he can win, but he's not stupid. He knows the, the Bible. He even sometimes tries to misquote it to you and I. He misquoted it to Eve. And um, 
But, you know, somehow he... All right, verse 13. Now watch this. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So one of his prime targets during the tribulation is going to be Israel. And Israel will see that the guy who they thought was their savior wasn't their savior. And God's using all that to get them ready to find their true Messiah, which is Christ. Okay? But he not only persecutes uh, Israel. Uh, skip down to verse 17 real quickly, and I'll wrap this thing up. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So who is the rest of her offspring? Well, Christ was born out of Israel. Of course, he's the son of God. But who else came out of Israel? Who were the 12 disciples? Were they all Jewish? And who, what, were, what, was the 12, what did the 12 disciples begin? The church. So what's the rest of her offspring? The church. <laughs> So the devil hates not only Israel, he hates the church. And so he's going to make war against the woman, but he's also going to make war against you and I. But let me go back to verse 10 and 11. This is what we'll wrap it up with. Third closing. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. I love verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, I love verse 10. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. The devil just got cast down to earth and Antichrist is on the scene. What are you doing rejoicing? What are you doing saying, now it's come, you know? <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> no, I'm not crazy. Because it's during that time that God is going to show the church for what the church is. That greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Will some of us be martyred? Absolutely. But I'll tell you what. Will, you know, Antichrist can roar and kill all the people he wants to. But I'll tell you what. There's going to be people that are going to find Christ during that time. The two witnesses are going to be prophesying. And the church's finest hour is going to be right during that time. And we'll be a bride without spot or blemish or wrinkle, you know. And about the time that Antichrist thinks he's going to totally wipe us out, whoop, we're out of here along with every believer. So anyway, you know, I thought, I love verse 10 and 11. <laughs> now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ have come. You go, wait a minute, man, we're under the rule of Antichrist. But see, verse 11, you need to put this in your, you need to memorize verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's, remember how I said, don't ever get away from the blood and the cross. That's where your power is. That's where your hope is. That's where you change. And by the word of their testimony, don't be afraid to speak. Don't be afraid to... How did God create the worlds? With His word. Speaking it. Don't be afraid to prophesy. Don't be afraid to eat that book and speak. Don't be afraid to say, you stand for Christ, you know. And they love not their lives to the death. So that means, you know, I mean, you've heard, you've heard this before. You know, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You know, I believe the devil's going to get so mad and Antichrist is going to get so frustrated that no matter how much he persecutes believing Israel or the church, we just keep going. 
And we just keep declaring. And other people are going to get saved. And he's going to lose. That's the bottom line. He's going to lose. And once the rapture happens and the trumpet starts falling, that's really the beginning of the end of his kingdom. But uh, we, you know, I guarantee you, we will have manifested. And it won't be, the way, you know how we will have won? We won't have won by human power. We won't have won by army power. But when the rapture comes, we will have won by God's power. Because it, it, the devil will be stuck with the fact that no matter what he did, no matter what he tried, he could not get the people that love God to turn their back on God. It's like Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, And so Job threw it right in the face of the devil. So the church will too. So will, so will believing Israel. So I love verses 10 through uh, 11. And, uh, and then verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. You know, So it, it's, it's really, don't look at it as just a negative time, but look at it as a time where, where God, God can use you. Amen? And I've actually got some more stuff coming up for you about, about how God will watch over you during the time of the tribulation. Okay? Now, I'm not going to guarantee you're not going to be a martyr because it does say there is a certain number of us that will be martyred. But I believe if that's your call, you know, that uh, God's grace will be there. Amen? So, yeah, I was talking to Ron John the other day. I was telling him a little bit about what I was teaching. He told me, he said, from the time he first got saved, he felt that he might be part of the generation that was here under a great persecution. And I'll tell you one thing that's happening. You want to know why God's working so much in the young people right now? I mean, I, I think even there's a possibility that you and I, some of us that are 50 and over, could still be around, you know, when, when some of this starts happening. But I think there's an absolute, very good possibility that some of the leaders that God's going to raise up for that time are actually coming up out of the younger generation now. I think it's one of the reasons why God's working with them. So, All right. Amen.